Amen. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. And, and uh, hey, before I get started this morning, I know we spent a little time earlier praying for the, the, the people in Maui who are devastated by those fires. And uh, if you are feeling so inclined or, or moved to help in a tangible way, uh, there is a ministry we've been building a relationship with over the past few years called City Serve International not to be confused with another organization we partner with, CityServe of the Tri-Valley, but, but CityServe International does a lot of work bringing relief to people around the world who've gone through something like what's going on there. And what I love about them, the way they do it is through local churches. And there is a church on the west side of Maui that CityServe is preparing to send 250,000 meals to so that church can help support the residents there in the community. And, and I should say more than meals, uh, emergency supplies. They have team members they're sending to help this church distribute those meals. And, and these are people with expertise in, in disaster relief. So if you would like to give to that and help a local church in Maui be the hands and feet of Jesus right now in the midst of this, uh, you can give at, at this website, cityserve.us slash Maui fires. Uh, by the way, if you can't remember that, snap a picture of it. Or, or actually, we'll put a link to that on the front page of our website, uh, probably within an hour of this service ending today. But this church, King's Cathedral in, in Kahului, will be able to, to use what we give to assist those residents. And, and we can be the church not just here, but across the Pacific by partnering with another church and what they're doing in the middle of all of that. All right? Well, uh, a little while back, I, I came across a website that I thought was a great idea as a way to set some fun goals in your life. It was called bucketlist.org, and it's a place people go to keep track of all the things that they want to do. Uh, the idea is you create a login, you make a list of your own, and then you check things off over the coming years as you go throughout your life. But what's different, other people can view your list. And it's kind of neat. You know, some people have like two things on their list and then other people have hundreds of things. And I was reading through these bucket lists and it made me start to wonder about what I would put on my list. Now, you think you know what you would put down on your list. You probably have a good idea. But what I started to notice is as I would look at other people's list and read theirs, I would think, oh yeah, I want to do that too. And I would add it to mine. So like someone wrote, play the bagpipes. I would not have thought of that as something to put on mine, but now that you mention it, I've always wanted to try that. Now it's on my list. Uh, another one that I read, put my hand in wet concrete. Yes, every time I see that in a sidewalk or somewhere, I, I think, how come I'm never around when there's concrete to be messed with? That's gonna go on my list. Uh, one that I had not thought of, crowd surf. Who doesn't wanna try crowd surfing? I feel like this is part of my adolescence that I somehow missed. Um, in fact, what do you say we give it a shot today and you help me cross this off the list right now? If you guys could stand up. I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. We do that at the outdoor service. But I think, I think we all have things that we wish we could do and, and some of those are pretty ridiculous uh, and some of them, some of them are actually really great. And by great, I mean that they're incredibly meaningful. We have things we would like to do that have the ability to broaden our perspective and change our worldview. We have things on our list that if we did them, they would bond us closer to our spouses, our families. You have things that would challenge your faith and, and, and push you closer to God, challenge your faith in a way that when you're done with them, they'd make you stronger. Everybody, everybody's got a few things on their list. So what holds us back from doing from checking those things off. 
I think for some people, the reason we don't do more on our list is because we don't have the time. I don't have time to learn to play the bagpipes or watch every movie that's been directed by Steven Spielberg. That was on somebody's list on the website. I don't have time to learn to speak four different languages fluently. I don't have time. In fact, just the idea of a list of things to do before I die makes me angry. Why do you have to give me another list? And why do you have to set a deadline? That's what I need, another set of things to do in a limited amount of time. I think another reason for many of us, we don't have the money. Uh, one person wrote on their list, they want to play on the world's highest tennis court in Dubai. I would love to do that. That sounds amazing. There is no way I will ever be able to afford to take a trip to Dubai just to play tennis. And that one's a little bit extravagant, but you know what I mean. There are plenty of less expensive ones that are still incredibly unrealistic for most of us to be able to afford. Money gets in the way. But I think the main reason that most of us don't get to the things on our list, it's not lack of time, it's not lack of money, it is fear. Often, we are afraid to try something new, even if it's something we really want to do, and that fear can keep us from pursuing it. Now, let me be real clear today. When I say fear and bucket list, I don't mean you're afraid of hang gliding over Rio de Janeiro or playing tennis 650 feet up. By the way, I don't actually think that I could even do that, afraid of heights. But I'm talking about a fear of doing something incredibly important, life-changing, a world-changing thing that you might want to do. For example, one person wrote on that website, volunteer at a hospice once a week. Another person wrote, make a real difference in at least one other person's life. Somebody wrote, read the Bible. I read one that said, actually say, I love you to my parents. And those kind of items, not getting checked off on our bucket list, that's not about money, and usually it's not about time. That is about fear. Sometimes we're afraid of the experience itself. Sometimes we're afraid of how it might change us. Sometimes we're afraid of what might happen if we fail. And in case you're not thinking about you yet, let me just kind of put a question on you that's going to force you to think about you. What one thing would you attempt to do if you knew that you could not fail? And again, I don't mean trips that you would take or stunts that you would try, any of that. I mean, what one life-changing, like God-prompted thing might you attempt to try if you knew that you couldn't fail at? Often what keeps us from trying that thing that came to your mind is fear. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a fight that is going on within you over your fear. Actually, I want to help you see what the Bible says about how we fight fear or how we conquer it. See, the Apostle Paul writes something in Romans 8. It says this, that you and I are more than conquerors when it comes to the things that seems to be obstacles in our lives. And if I could just take a moment, that phrase right there, more than conquerors is huge. Why wouldn't Paul just say, we are conquerors? That's enough. I'd be happy with conquering the obstacles in my life. But he says that you are more than a conqueror. And, and there is a finality to that phrase. What it means is you don't just win the battle against what overcomes you, you will win the war. Ultimately, you will overcome it. And Paul says, you want to know why? In the same chapter, he writes, Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, 
then who can be against us? Can we try something? I'm gonna say, if our God is for us, and I want you to finish the sentence, who can be against us? Let's try it. If our God is for us, all right, let's do it again louder, all right? If our God is for us, and what we say today is, even our fear cannot conquer us when God is on our side or by our side, because he is for you. But I want to show you how that becomes a reality in your life this morning. And we find that in Psalm 56. Psalm 56, and this is written by David, who many of you might know as King David in the Bible, but he writes this psalm well before he's a king. In fact, let me just share with you a little bit of the backstory. David has been working in the palace of a different king named Saul. Now, Saul was not a great man at this point in his life. He is jealous, and he is threatened, and he's constantly looking out for who might try to steal his throne from him, and, and he has set his paranoid sights on David. And actually, there's a good reason for this. David has built quite a reputation among the people for being an incredible warrior. Back when he was a kid, there was a battle against the Philistines, and there was a huge man named Goliath. Everybody in Saul's army was afraid to go up against Goliath, including the king Saul, until one day, this little shepherd boy showed up from the fields, and he said, with God on my side, I can do this. And with a slingshot, he did. He defeated Goliath. I mean, this kid had no fear. They defeated the Philistines because of David. And the people celebrated the victory. And one of the ways they did it was to write a song, a chant, a cheer. Like when the warriors would ride into town. And it went like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. The cheer goes, isn't Saul great? And how about the new guy named David who fought and defeated 10 times more people? Basically, they're chanting MVP, MVP at David as he rides into town. And so you can imagine what Saul starts to think. That guy is going to steal my kingdom. Okay, that gets us close to where this story is going to pick up. Saul is threatened. And he tries multiple times to kill David. And finally, David runs away. Now, where does he run? Saul is after him. He's trying to kill him. Who does David run to? I want to show you this. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 says, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Can you believe it? He went to Achish, king of Gath. This is crazy. I'm just kidding. You have no idea who Achis, king of Gath, is. I didn't expect you to. Let me tell you. Gath was the Philistines. It was one of five Philistine city-states, and get this, it was, you ready? The hometown of Goliath. Of all the places to go when you are running away from your enemy, why would you go to the town of your even worse enemies, the place where you are on Gath's most wanted list? You defeated their MVP. They hate you. And let me just show you what David does to make it worse. Right before he goes to Gath, he stops at a priest's house to eat and try to like weapon up. And David says to the priest, we'll put this up. Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because I had to leave in a hurry. Look at verse nine. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed a long time ago. Remember that guy? It's here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. And David said, there is none like it. The sword of Goliath, give it to me. 
All right, so let me just get this straight. You're gonna go to the hometown of the guy that you killed where everybody hates you, and you're gonna bring your trophy from that battle and flash it around town every now and again? Genius. Verse 10, David goes to Gath. Verse 11, as we might have predicted, things get awkward. But the servants of the king see him come to town, and so they say to the king, isn't this David the king of the land? By the way, no wonder Saul is paranoid because even their enemies are starting to think of David as the future king. They call him the king of the land. They say, isn't that the one they sing about in their dances? Saul is slain as thousands, David is tens of thousands. And at this, they seize David. Now, it doesn't say they seized David, they took him into custody. But here's where I want to flip over to Psalm 56 with you. At the very top of this psalm, like before even verse 1, at the top of Psalm 56, it says this, For the director of music to the tune of a dove on distant oats. That old classic. You all know that song, right? (laughs) Just kidding. We had no idea what that sounded like. But a song, it says, written by David when the Philistines had seized him at Gath. 1 Samuel doesn't tell us how they treat David when they figure out he's David, but Psalm 56 does. And it is likely that when they seize him, they take him into custody and they start asking him tough questions. All right, I have watched enough Law and Order. I know how this works. They ask David, why are you here? Why do you think you're coming to our kingdom? What are you going to do in this king? David is in captivity. He's being interrogated. He's not sure what's going to happen to him. And if we flip back to 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, we read that it says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath very much afraid. All right, let's, just, let's stop right there for a moment. I'm not certain of what it is that sometimes when we are young, we seem fearless. Do you remember that from when you were young? If you are young right now, you probably feel like you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You are fearless. I remember feeling that way. And somehow, something changes. I mean, look back at David. David walks out, conquers Goliath, knew that he could do it, had no doubt. He was a puny shepherd boy, no fear. But now, Years after leading armies into battle and conquering enemies, he's done all of that. He stands here now older, wiser, and scared. I don't know if it's that as we get older, we have more to lose. He's got his family, his career. I don't know if it's that as adults, we've seen failure happen, and we start to realize, oh, that could happen to me. I don't know what it is, but, but this is something important. This is worth knowing. It's worth us saying today. Fear happens to even the most courageous of us. Fear is equal opportunity. Don't be ashamed of your fear because it happens to the best. The guy who defeated Goliath grew up to be afraid of the Philistines. But overcoming is about what you do when you feel fear. Fear happens to even the most courageous. Overcoming, being more than a conqueror, is about what you do when you feel it. And in Psalm 56, we can read what David does. We flip back over to Psalm 56, and he prays, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long in their pride. Many are attacking me. And then he says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? I want to focus in on a couple things we see David do right here to conquer his fear, to, to fight what I think might be the hardest thing we will ever fight, our fear. Look again at, at verse 3. He writes, when I am afraid, and I want you to just see this, David does not deny that he is afraid. First thing we see about how to conquer fear, do not deny that you have it. David admits that he has fear when I am afraid. Okay, I think there is this thing with people who follow God, especially guys, especially men, we don't wanna show anyone that we're afraid. Um, there are six basic human emotions, happy, excited, tender, sad, angry, scared. I will admit that I am any of those other five, but scared, especially as men, we'll say to other men all day long, I'm angry. We love to talk about that emotion. That one's easy. I'm angry. How dare that person? Can you believe that person? Okay, but to say, I'm scared. Men don't do that because we're not supposed to be scared. And here's the thing I've noticed. Christians don't do that. I've had a number of church people in my life tell me we're not supposed to be scared. God will take care of things. I'm not scared. Really? Because I think you are scared. You're just hiding it or you're in denial. I bring it up to say it is very important as we talk about overcoming our fear more than conquering our fear. Like the first step is admitting we have some. That's okay. And God does not require you to live in a make-believe world where everything's friendly and there is no risk. He does not require you to deny your fear. David doesn't. Now, look at the second thing we see in verse three. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. David says, when I start to feel the feelings of fear, I put my trust in God. What does that mean? Is trust just saying words of trust in a prayer? Is it just saying, God, I trust you? Because I've done that, and I'll tell you, when I'm afraid, that doesn't seem to be quite enough. No, what David does here is more than say words of trust. Okay, cut to verse 13 in this psalm, and David writes this. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is written while David is still in custody. He does not know that God will deliver him from death. He's referring right here to the previous times that God has come through. And part of what David does here to express his trust and actually to regain his trust, he reminds himself of the way that God has shown up in his past. You have delivered me from death. He's praying, remember that time when I was a little shepherd boy and I had this crazy idea to go up against a super tall warrior named Goliath everybody else was afraid of? God, you delivered me. Remember that time when I was just innocently hanging out in a palace and Saul threw a spear at me to try and kill me and missed me by this much? God, you delivered me. Remember the time that Saul had his men surround my house and ordered them to kill me when I came out in the morning? And God, you gave my wife the wherewithal to notice them and help me escape sight unseen. God, you delivered me. God, countless times you've delivered me. You've saved my life and you have kept my feet from stumbling, he writes. 
Okay, David places his trust in God, not just by going, I trust you, but by focusing on how faithful God has been in his past. And as he does this, it bolsters his confidence on God to come through in the present. Now, I want you to notice something. David doesn't say, God, you saved me from ever having to go through any risky, scary situations. God, you kept me from having to do things that I might fail at, because that's not true. No, he says, God, I have stared death in the face, and you have somehow pulled me through. If, if we are going to more than conquer our fear, this means we got to admit we have it, and then we've got to remember how when we had it in the past, God was faithful to pull us through. We don't have perfect lives. David's on the run, right? He's away from his family, but we're still here. God has come through. Put your trust in God's faithfulness. He's come through in the past. Now, David does not just stop at those two things, admitting fear and then remembering God's faithfulness before. And the next part of this story gets really weird. Uh, I want to flip back over to 1 Samuel, but we're going to come back to 56. Uh, don't forget we were here in the Psalms. 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, David is afraid because they've seized him. And then verse 13, take a look at this. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. I love it. He takes matters into his own hands, and his strategy is, I am going to act crazy, and it works. Verse 14, Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why did you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen around here that you have to bring this fellow to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And this strategy works. The king sends David on his way. And actually, actually, this shows a third thing that we can do to overcome our fear. Act crazy, drool on yourself, and try to scratch nonsense into a wall. No, of course not. Of course that's not it. David does something that's actually one of our values here at Crosswinds. He prays like it depends on God, but works like it depends on him. David does not pray, God, I'm afraid, I trust you, get me out of this, and then sit and wait for deliverance. And in fact, if you think about this, he never has, ever. When he was a kid, God gave him a slingshot to use to kill Goliath. And when Saul threw a spear at him, God gave David reflexes to jump out of the way. And when his house was surrounded by people trying to kill him, God gave David a window to be lowered down to the ground so he could escape by the cover of the night. Now that he is in Gath, God has given him a beard and a crazy amount of saliva to put to good use. He trusts God, but then he says, now what am I supposed to do? And I... I I think some of us need to hear this. When you're in a situation and you're afraid of the potential outcome, it is on you to do more than just trust and hope and believe that everything's gonna be okay and God is gonna fix it without you. God gave you the ability to act, to think through a strategy to overcome the thing that has you scared. Do not let your fear paralyze you. Strategize and then act. Now, I feel like I need to say this is different then God helps those who help themselves. I grew up hearing that. I don't know if that's quite biblical. The truth is, God helps us even when we can't help ourselves, right? 
But trusting God and asking for that help doesn't mean that part of his plan in delivering you isn't you, using your mind and your resources to come up with some direction. But, but let me say this. Be God-honoring in your strategy. Do the right thing with your actions. David doesn't lie, doesn't betray anyone. He doesn't make a deal that compromises his integrity. He just acts nuts. Now, watch what happens. I want you to see something in these verses. Okay, let me flip back over to Psalm 56, and we're going to just stay here. Verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and get this, am not afraid. Look at what's happening. As David admits his fear, puts his trust in God, starts to develop a strategy for how he's going to handle this, his fear dissipates. In God I trust, and I am no longer afraid. This is huge. This is not denying fear, what I talked about earlier. He's already admitted it. What we see, as he brings God into the equation, God and his faithfulness, his fears start to shrink. I love this. This is the psalm. This is the song of a guy who says, God, I am afraid, but I trust you. And even as I speak those words, I begin feeling my spirit get settled. You are here. You deliver me. You keep my feet from stumbling. He raises his voice to God in a fight. And in the act of raising his voice, God gives him confidence. In the evidence of this fear dissipating, look at how he closes verse four with this line right here. What can mere mortals do to me? What a line. What a line. In God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They're only men or women like me. All right, what do you do with a line like that? I mean, as we've seen in ancient history, recent history, mere mortals can do a lot. I can think of a lot of tragedy at the hands of mere mortals. David says this line twice in this psalm. This is actually part of the chorus to the song he's writing. Is he serious? What does this mean? What can mere mortals do? All right, well, that phrase, mere mortal in the Hebrew, it's kind of derogatory. It's a way of saying that something is weak. It's lower than, it's less than something else. But what we know from what we've read and seen, David is not unaware that these people who've captured him could take his life, indeed. He's not naive to that. What he's saying here is, God, compared to you, these guys are nothing. What he's saying here is, if my God is for me, who can be against me? Who are these people compared to my God? All right, there, there are a lot of things out there to be afraid of. No one here would say that following God involves denying that. Feel your fear. It's good. God gave it to you for a reason. To turn to him, to trust him, to strategize how to overcome what's got you scared, and then to watch it dissipate as you live in the truth that God is for you. And when he is for you, he is for you. And even your fears, whether they're real, whether they're made up, Your fears cannot stand against you. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Would you do that? And I just kind of feel led this morning to to ask you to go through some of these steps with me in prayer. You know, rather than just talking about this today or 
you know, educating ourselves on this. Let's do this. Let's actually practice what we preach right now before we go. Would you take a minute and just think of what fear you might have that has been a struggle to overcome? Maybe it's something you want to try and you have been afraid to try it. Maybe it's something you want to say. It's a conversation that you need to have with someone. You've been afraid to have it. Maybe there's a risk that you've been wanting to take. There's a limb that you need to climb out on. Something that has the potential of failing, but, but it's something you've dreamed of. Maybe it's an addiction that you've been afraid of being honest about. Would you just search for that for a moment? And just, just admit that fear to God. And now, would you just take a few moments and remind yourself and remind God in prayer of all the times he's come through. Not all the times everything in your life looked pretty. No, the times they weren't and you survived. The times God pulled you through. Take a few moments. Let that list grow. here and you would give us wisdom and knowledge of how to act to overcome these fears God that you would show us your resources you would show us a path that you would give us the courage to act in spite of our fear and God that as we step out in faith you would cause our fear to dissipate because God we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither what stands before us now nor what stands before us in the future, height, depth, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from you and your love through Jesus Christ. And the reason, the reason is, God, you are for us. And if our God is for us, this is your part of the prayer. Let's say it together. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you next week as we kick off a new series.